When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and I'm back today after some time off on a lovely holiday in Portugal. My colleagues have just been joking that my skin is the colour of my door beside it. So they're obviously think I've got a cracking tan going on after spending some time on the beach and by the pool. Um, but first of all, how are you, Samuel? Obviously, I'm joined by Samuel Lockhurst and Tyrell Marshall. How are you, Samuel? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you back, Stephen. I'm absolutely delighted to be back alongside Tyrone as well. Tyrone, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Stephen. Good. I've enjoyed hearing all about the uh, the culture you enjoyed on your on your holiday. Well, you're going to the same location, Tyrone. We've just seen him in yeah, three weeks. A very different so... holiday, it'd be fair to say. <laughs> I'm a family man as well, Tyrone. I don't know what you're on about. I've got two kids and a wife and I've had a lovely time away. You have now, anyway, after the holiday. <laughs> you can't out is like that anyways plenty to get into across the next 45 minutes we've got uh, Leeds friendly chat obviously United won 2-0 at win Oslo our colleague Rich Fay made the trip across there United got fantastic support across in Norway we've got some transfer chat as well because United are making progress in a deal for Andre and Nana from Inter Milan who's looking likely to be the second signing of the summer after Mason Mount but we'll start with the friendly chat Samuel, that was obviously on Wednesday afternoon, uh, a 2-0 win in the end. Tenag picked a, a very strong team, I'd say, a relatively strong team to begin with. A lot of senior first-team players in there with a, a bit of youth. And then half-time, he made wholesale changes, didn't he? 11 players got replaced, the youngsters came out and they did really well. They, you know, kept held their own in the 1-2-0 in the end with goals from Emirant and Hugo. So what was your reaction from the game? Your main takeaways, who impressed you most? Because there's a few names uh, we'll touch upon. Because for me, Kobe Mane was brilliant and, and Hannibal, but I'm sure we'll come on to them in a bit more detail. Yeah, uh, it's it's typical of Rich, isn't it? That he, he goes to the game, but he he gets the day off where we're podcasting about it. So we, we can't glean any uh, insight from from him, unfortunately. Uh, but from from my sofa anyway, because I I, I sat this one out. Uh, United were reasonably good in the first half with with the senior side if you like I mean it was a very I think Leeds did it the other way around didn't they it was a much more senior Leeds team in the second half um, it was it was an unrecognisable te- Leeds team in the first half maybe because they, they thought that would give them a, a better chance of, of, of victory but I suppose the, the, the not the main talking points but the fact that Fred travelled and then he wasn't in the squad whatsoever and it was managing his workload and you think well He's not played in nearly six weeks. He's not been on international duty. He's been on holiday uh, for four or five weeks. 
what workload is to manage there. Everybody knows that he's effectively up for sale as well. But for those who did play, I thought Mainu was was very polished. Again, it took him ten seconds to have an impact with uh, a ball through to Ahmad that was you know, hazardous enough for for the Leeds guy to to trip him. He played another good pass that accelerates an attack. I thought him and Mount worked quite well in tandem. We always have to caveat these things that with with the sedate pace with the fact that it's a friendly and as I said it was an unrecognisable Leeds team but Mainu, Mountain and Mejbri the, the three M's were the ones who who certainly stood out I, I think with Mejbri it was it was good to see it was good to see him back playing for United and getting a start for United because I don't think that happened under Ten Hag during pre-season last year which was something of a surprise because you you could see him having uh, potentially having a role uh, on pre-season especially since it was Ten Hag's first few weeks but clearly he didn't think he was he was ready and he put him out on loan to Birmingham but he didn't have much of a choice but to play him given the lack of uh, senior options with the international still away, and with Mejbri you know, generating interest, uh, Rich has written that that Dortmund uh, like the look of him. He he gave a performance in three quarters of an hour that suggested that he wasn't resigned to to leaving United. He was aggressive. He got a ludicrous booking. I don't know what the referee was thinking, um, uh, cautioning him when he just had a. It was. It wasn't a particularly cynical tug back either on, on the Leeds player, and it was midway inside the Leeds half. It wasn't even in the United half. But he should have scored. He created a good chance. He pressed well. His his pressing is is one of his biggest assets. But whether he gets the opportunity to showcase that when the competitive action starts remains to be seen. But it was a bustling performance from him, and and he that's what he does in in games when he gets a chance. He bustles about. Uh, he, he probably still needs to control, have, have more of a controlled aggression if he's to make that transition, that permanent transition into the United first team squad. But when I watch him, I think like, I'd I'd rather if if I'm if I'm a United fan, just a United fan, uh, rather than someone who who follows them in press boxes, then I'd rather see him playing for United than. Van der Beek, who was absent, then Marshall, who was absent, uh, two players whose, whose cards need to be marked. And you could name other players as well. Uh, but it, given the uncertainty over his future, it's, it's it's good to see that there's no sign of a lack of commitment from him. He was he was certainly committed. And with Mainu, I think that they certainly have to consider him as as the fifth midfielder for, for the forthcoming season. He, he leapfrogged. Iqbal last season in the pecking order. Um, United had a bit more competition there after Sabitzer came in and unfortunately for Mainu he got injured for the run-in. But he's filled out over the last year. I thought he was terrific in the the Youth Cup winning team. He's only had 87 minutes in the first team uh, in competitive games. They've they've been against League One Charlton, Reading, who were relegated last season and, and Leicester also relegated, of course. So I think it's in everyone's interest that he's certainly on the plane to the States next week because United are coming up against some some exceptional midfielders. Declan Rice might be at Arsenal by then. Look at Real Madrid's midfield department. You've got the, the great and the, the, the great to be's, if you like, with with Camavingo, Chiumeni and, and Bellingham and Modric and Cruz are still there. Uh, Dortmund, okay, you, the, the, the name's don't exactly roll off the tongue roll off the tongue there but they are a team that should have won the Bundesliga last season so they need to pit him against midfields of that calibre and as as misleading as preseason can be it can also be a, a pretty good litmus test of a player we saw that 
with Mason Greenwood four years ago when he went on tour to Singapore and Australia and, and China and he, he did very well and in his first full season he was he was excellent under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so the way it's going with Mainu I, I would certainly advise against learning him uh, to, to a, a football league club next season because I think there's potential there for him to have a decent role as a squad member where he's learning the ropes and you see the way it's it's panning out in midfield. Ericsson and, and Casemiro are 31. McTominay, he, he, anything could happen there with him. Fred, I think he eventually probably will go this summer. There's there's every chance that Maynou will be playing a lot more regularly for United um, in, in midfield sooner rather than later. I really hope he takes the, shall we call it the Ganacho route now. He's kept around yeah. the first team, he blends in with the experienced heads, kept around training because he's, he's really, his ceiling's really high. He's got clear potential. He's really a talented young lad. And I think everyone you talk to as well, whether it be coaches or people at the club, they paint a picture of him being so, you know, keeps his head down. He's polite. Yeah, he's like He's grounded, isn't he? He's really got his head. Yeah, he's really got his head screwed on his shoulders. And let's just remind ourselves, he's 18. He only just turned 18 in April. Um, and, and much was made, obviously, about Zidane Ekbal leaving the club. But he was 20 years old, two years above Manu. And he leapfrogged him last season, didn't he? So uh, it kind of explains why that why that happened. Tyrone, we've not even discussed Mason Mount yet. 55 million signing. He obviously made his uncompetitive debut. Um, he played as a number eight, which I think is the position he's probably been brought to the club to play in, that kind of deeper role. So what did you make of that? Because he obviously made his name as a number 10, didn't he? He's an attacking midfielder, but he seems really to have the qualities to excel in that position. I thought his pressing was fantastic. There was a moment in the first half, where obviously he came off at halftime, where he won the ball quite high up the field and he was leading the press and he just dinked it over the bar. He came very close, but it was a promising 45 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I think it's going to help him having that settled position. We've, we've seen him move about really. Like I say, he's played as a 10. He's played on the left, I think, for England. Um, he's moved about for Chelsea. He's very positionally versatile, but I think it will help him starting every week playing in the same position. And, and for me, his best position is as a number eight. Um, he's got a really good all-round midfield game. He can contribute defensively. We've spoken before about how every manager he plays under loves him because of his intelligence to, to just pick the right moments to, to to know what to do on on intuition really um the the pressing is a huge one I think um you know he was as good off the ball as he was on it and that's going to be huge for United next year they pressed more under Ten Hag last season but I don't think they ever pressed to the extent that we thought they would do um and part of that is maybe that we just felt they didn't have the legs to do it we spoke quite a bit towards the end of the season about how that isn't an, an ageing midfield, also the two 31-year-olds. Um, Fernandez got better with, with his pressing. He can be a little bit headless chicken, I think, at times with his his pressing. He's almost so desperate to win the ball back that he, he overcommits, um, especially when things haven't been going well for him. I think he's improved on that. Um, and I think it, it, it will help having Mount alongside him. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that 4-3-3 midfield where you've got basically one sitting and two number eights, the way the way City do it. Um, with Mainz and Fernandez there, I think he'll bring an awful lot to United with that pressing. It was interesting to hear Ten Hag talk about him and talk about how he brings a bit of dynamism to that midfield and, and he's more dynamic. And Ten Hag mentioned this analysis he always does of his team and said the analysis of last season was that they were lacking in that in midfield. And I think it was pretty clear that for all the, the quality of Casemiro and Eriksen on the ball, they, you know, neither has got the legs to to really influence games in in terms of pressing. Um, they're they're too 
nice midfielders. Casemiro can do the dirty work at times, but you know they're they're not as dynamic as they once were. So I think it was clear that that midfield needed younger legs. And yeah, I think there's a lot to like about about Mason Mount. I think it's going to be exciting to see him in that four three three as a, a number eight alongside Fernandez. Really, and I think we will see a lot more pressing from United next season and a lot more structure to, to that pressing. And I think Mount is going to be huge with that. I mean, sticking with personalities, I don't know if you guys noticed this in the kind of the unveiling content and stuff that the club released. I thought Mount came across so well. A really likeable lad. I mean, he's 24 years old. He's obviously had great yeah. success with Chelsea, but he doesn't seem to have let that go to his head. He's, he's won the Champions League. Um, but obviously, Ten Hag is really keen on bringing these good personalities in the dressing room. Good egg, should we say? And he seems to be another one, anyways. Um, Samuel, from those youngsters that started the game, we obviously discussed Hannibal and um, <clears throat> Kobe Menu, but obviously Ahmed Amari Forsen and Alvor Alvaro Fernandez with a Z, not. Bruno Fernandes with an S at the end, um, all started as well. So there's five youngsters from the start of the game. Would we say, with the exception of Forsen, uh, those four players will go across to America on the tour in a week and a half's time when you guys are there? Who are you expecting to, to head across to the States? Uh, I think with Fernandes, that could be touch and go because they'll have two left backs back by that point. I suppose the reassuring thing for for him and from Ten Hag, uh, for United supporters looking at the way Ten Hag was going about it, was that he started him ahead of Brandon Williams. It would have been pretty galling for the player if 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 he was starting that game on the bench. Williams made what one substitute appearance all of last season, I think it was, and five Instagram stories. Yeah, uh, that, this is the this is the sad situation really with him. He, he had a very good first season, but to be relevant now, he has to go on social media and talk about Manchester City win the Champions League. Fernandez did very well on loan at Preston last season, so I think it's safe to say that Brandon Williams is is is, is fourth choice left back at United, and if they can sell him this summer, they they will do. I don't think he'll be at the club this time next year at, at the very latest. He's out of contract in in 2024, and I, I can't see that extension being triggered. Fernandez did did okay. He was he was quite quiet. He probably didn't help him that Forson was his. Um, was his partner on the left force and looked a little bit phased by it. He didn't, he wasn't quite in sync. It's, it's forgivable. It was a big, big moment for him. And all of a sudden he was playing with players that he, he doesn't usually play with that he's never played with and probably has barely trained with as well. Um, so with who are the other youngsters remind me, <laughs> Ahmad, Ahmad, I suppose well. is, Ahmad is, is a youngster. It doesn't, he's, he's, He's been on everyone's mind for like nearly three years now. It's, it's that whole thing. Is he still a young player? But he, he definitely is. He was bright. He was involved. He had a couple of decent opportunities that maybe if he was wearing a Sunderland shirt, he would have taken them. And and that's that, that is where, as as misleading as preseason can be, it can still be a decent litmus test and that you put someone in a Man United shirt in front of a, a reasonably big crowd um or, or certainly with a more a little bit more pressure on their shoulders it, it can it can change them and they can try too hard or they can not play as naturally and, and there were times where Ahmad he had the ball under control and then he lost control and he, you could see the, the agony on his face it almost looked like he was diving but he wasn't he just lost his balance and he'd lost the ball and he knows how much you know how how big these moments are of him at the moment. If he impresses, he's absolutely staying in the squad next season. If he doesn't, you can't be as certain that he's going to be staying in the squad. But 
the, the the fact that he was involved, that he wants to get on the ball, that he was playing on the right as well, because I think that would have been an element of doubt going into the game where Marshall is made of papier-mâché. I think we all sense that he probably wasn't going to start, and of course he didn't. Um, that Ahmad could have played at the at the tip of the arrow because that's where he did play uh, in preseason last year. When you knew if he's playing there, there's no chance of him staying in the squad, and it was the right thing for him to go out on loan as well. But he did all right, and there's there are going to be plenty more opportunities to come for him to to improve on a reasonable performance level against Leeds. Um, you you'd think he's maybe it's something of an advantage in that he he will play more games than most others because the, the the international players coming back on Saturday, Ten Hag indicated they would not be involved at Murrayfield for the Lyon game. Then there are three games in the States for the first team and then there are two more uh, at Old Trafford against Lons and the Dublin game against Athletic Bilbao where it will be two different teams. But it looks like Ahmad will get to play in, in six pre-season games possibly half or or the majority of them as a starter. So that that stands him in good stead. Um, I mean, going back to Martial, I think the question really that United should address there, and and Ten Hag might get asked about it in America, is why was Martial not at Carrington when he's recovering from an injury, when all the other players who are recovering from injury were at Carrington a week before or the days before pre-season officially began? Van der Beek... Martinez, Anthony, Maynu, Henderson, they were all reporting at Carrington uh, because they were coming from injury. Marshall, as his Instagram stories indicated, was not in the country when those players were at Carrington. And that's just another nail in his coffin. I mean, there's there's barely any room left in the coffin to hammer many more nails in. But you you cannot, you cannot, I mean, you can't count on him anyway. Um but it gets to the point now where you even wonder, is there any point even taking him to the States if he's in any remote fit state, even just to, even just for rehabilitation, which has happened before on tours, players have gone on them to to continue their rehab. But again, another player out of contract next year who really United can't have him here this time next season. Could you imagine the outcry of opening game of the season at Old Trafford? Wolves are visiting. Anthony Martial is starting up front. <laughs> It'd be a pretty miserable prospect, isn't it? Sorry, uh, United have just sent out a statement saying that UEFA have uh, fined them for breaking financial fair play rules. Uh, so Yeah, 300,000 euros fine. So, yeah, that's that's another statement. I, 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 was, I received a, a pretty... Uh, innocuous statement on, on Mason Mount dodging professional autograph hunters. I, I can just read you out both statements here, can't I? This is... It's breaking news as it happens. Sent from United says, well disappointed by the outcome, Manchester United accepts this fine for what UEFA acknowledges to be a minor technical breach of its previous financial fair play rules. Uh, this reflected a change in the way that UEFA adjusted for COVID-19 losses during the 2022 reporting period, which allowed us to recognise only 50 million euros of the 281 million euros of revenues lost due to the pandemic within the FFP calculation. Post-pandemic, the club's revenues have recovered strongly and are forecast to reach a record level in the current financial year. The club continues to support the enforcement of rules to promote financial fair play and sustainability across domestic and European football. There's a little bit more to that as well. Um, From from United's point of view, they they feel an element of disappointment at lack of flexibility shown by UEFA 
uh, in their treatment of a unique set of circumstances, but ultimately accept that they did make uh, a technical breach. I mean, I think for people listening to this, it can't be particularly engaging, but um, I suppose it's it shows you how how things have changed uh, yesteryear. It, the only Manchester club that were ever going to be in breach of of FFP with City, but the, the goalposts have shifted now with uh, the rules redrafted. The Premier League sustainability and profitability rules have come into it, and you've got United, you know, mentioning FFP. It feels like when whenever I have a conversation with anyone at the club about transfers, because they have to be they have to be mindful of that where they've had such a poor history in the seller's market they have to be a lot more careful in terms of how much they spend on incomings whilst historically anyway they've not brought a lot of money in for outgoings Ty have you got anything to add to that I know you did a a decent piece on financial fair play was it early in the week I don't know if you want to add anything before we uh, the yeah part. possibly all the weeks blend into one at, uh, at this time of year but yeah um, I, I mean we've you know we've heard like like someone said the club seems to mention it constantly that they're they're sailing close to the wind by by FFP and they have said again today that that the new FFP rules should be said that this this is this fine is for historical issues I think it's 2019 to 2022 maybe um, and it's basically not breaking even that COVID's affected a lot by that so this is this is an historical issue rather than the current FFP concerns that they're talking about in the transfer window. And UEFA have actually changed the FFP rules. So this is the last, this is the last time these rules will ever be in, in act basically. So United have failed on these rules, but it's the new rules that they're concerned about in terms of the transfer window and, and spending. And um, the part of those rules are this 70%, well, it's going to 70%. I think it's 90, 80, then 70% by 2025 of, 70% of revenue on transfers and wages and things like that, which United seemed pretty well set for. I mean, the last accounts, they had 50% wages to turnover. And that was down from 67%, basically because Ronaldo had left. Um, so it was, you know, it, they were in a good position by that. It, it, it's not clear how these rules really affect them. I mean, the people I've spoken to are, are unclear why United would be particularly worried about FFP, but they're, they're not alone on that going forward. And they have said again today that, you know, the, the constraints, the new UEFA rules are a constraint on what they and what other clubs can do in, in the transfer window, basically. And we know United have mentioned it a lot. We believe this budget's around 100, 120 million pound, um, you know, net spend this summer. So they've got to sell players. Part of it is maybe, um, you know, a message to other clubs that we've, look, we've got FFP issues. We can't pay 60 million for Inanna and 100 million euros for, Rasmus Hosland, but there's clearly some some concern there about these uh, FFP rules. Nicely done, Ty. And I'll just say, obviously, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, early Friday afternoon. So by the time this podcast is out, head across to the site. We'll have some reaction to that breaking story on the MEN site and across social media. Um, we'll leave that there for part one. We've mumbled on a bit and I'm going to get told off by the producer. <laughs> so we'll be back in a moment for part two. <laughs> So, Tyrone, I was going to start part two 
because Paul one rumbled on I was going to ask you about Ahmed right? I wanted you to finish that up because I remember a couple of months ago we discussed him we discussed his loan at Sun and he was fantastic he ended the season with 14 goals and 4 assists he produced some really big goals and big moments that left foot um, there was a free kick goal wasn't there? I think in the playoffs which was fantastic and he looked looked really exciting but I think I said uh, do you know what I think another loan would be best for him and you argued that perhaps he'd be best to be kept around the first team because there's not much competition for Anthony so do you think that's the role he'll be used in next season do you think Ten Hag's looking at him now or you look across him in the next five six weeks on pre-season and make that decision because he is obviously a right-sided forward and there's actually a lack of those players at the club they all tend to play on the left don't they Mm. Yeah, they do. He, he, you know, he's got a natural, um, a natural role there. There's, there's not, there isn't another left-footed, right-sided forward that, that could fill in for Anthony. So there is a gap there in the squad for him. Um, you know, Samuel did the story last week that if they sign Hodgson, United still want another forward, and Ten Hag wants someone who can play across the line. Really, I mean, that could be Ahmad. He did play. I think he played nine games as a striker for Sunderland last year. So it's, it, you know, he's more of a false nine. He's obviously not going to win you many headers. At five foot eight in the Premier League, but you know he he has played that role. He can do it, um, but he's got to he's got to earn it. And as much as it's in the matches, it's also in training. And I wonder if you know I've said this a couple of times now. I wonder if the options might be that he's in the squad or he's sold. Um, you know, you you wonder the benefits of another loan. You said before he's just turned twenty one. I think it was his birthday when um, when he flew out to his birthday on Tuesday. I think when he flew out to Oslo. Um, and we, you know, we've just seen how ruthless Ten Hag is being with with youngsters. Really, obviously, um, especially youngsters around that twenty twenty one age, where you know, if they've not made it now, are they going to make it? If Ahmad goes on loan this season, is he going to come back in a year's time and be in the squad? Maybe, but there's no guarantee. His stock's pretty high at the moment after what he did for Sunderland. Um, you know, we saw it with J- James Garner. I think it's the most obvious example. Garner came back last year and I think everyone wanted him to be in the squad. Midfield was an a- area that needed looking at. He'd done really well with Forrest. I think everyone thought, it. you know, he was unlucky in, in pre-season to get injured on the first day of the pre-season tour. But Ten Hag saw a bit of him in, in training and essentially decided not ready, not, you know, not, not of the required standard. His stock was high after what he'd done for Forrest and, and he was sold to Everton and it took him a long time to get in the in the Everton team. So, you know, there's a scenario, I think, where Ahmad could be similar to that if he doesn't impress Ten Hag enough. Maybe now's the time just to cash in when his value's high because there's no guarantee after another loan that it'll really change anything, I don't think. So it is going to be interesting to see how it how it goes this summer. I, I do think, there's, there's like we said, there's clearly a role there for him in the squad, but... He's got to earn that role, and it's not just in those friendlies. It's going to be in the training sessions as well. That he has to, he has to show Ten Hag he's ready for for Premier League football and and for influencing games. And it's going to be interesting to see to see how that goes. And I guess some of it will depend on on what United can do in the transfer market and whether whether it is possible to sign two forwards this this summer. Whether another you know if another wide forward comes in, and that is obviously going to be an issue for Ahmad. If another wide forward doesn't come in, then it increases his chances of of staying in the squad and, and getting some first-team action next season. Yeah, it'd be great if he could put some pressure on Anthony because he doesn't really have that much competition on that side, does he? I mean, Sancho occasionally plays across there, but he's looking a bit, a bit positionless at the moment. He's a bit lost in which position is best for him. His best form has been on the left, so he's another conundrum. Hopefully, his one picks up uh, in the new season. We'll move on to some transfer news anyway, Samuel. Um, obviously, big news this week is United are edging closer 
to a deal for Andrea Nana into Milan goalkeeper. Obviously, fantastic ball playing goalkeeper. I missed David De Gea leaving the club because I was on the beach. But could you tell us a bit more about that deal and, and where we're sitting at the moment? Oh, do I have to? Do I really have Samuel's going to say, <laughs> repeat, repeat back to me. Yep, they're inching closer. That's about it. Let's move on. It, it's uh, what's what's the next step from inching closer? Closing in. It's probably <laughs> it's, it's it's between it's between inching closer and closing in. Uh, then we could do set two, and then it could be sign Andre Anana. Uh, it's I you know it's it's. Again, we we have to cover these bloody things uh, in in minute detail, and and the the slightest update, it's um, it, it's it's lapped up by supporters. It seems so. I in in it doesn't feel like a great deal has changed from from Monday when I said something would have to go drastically wrong for Anana not to be um, a United goalkeeper next season. But if if it helps uh, anyone, if it makes them happier, what, what I was told this morning is that it's it's close, but the the this, the fee is still to be decided uh, by the clubs. So, I mean, some people might say, "Well, that's that's not close necessarily," and, and I'd, I'd say that they've they've got a bit of a point with that. Um, but I think there's a decent uh, chance that he'll, he'll at least be able to be involved in the preseason tour of the states. The way things are going, I mean, United have got to be aiming for that as well. And, and Ten Hag did say in midweek in Oslo, he, he again stressed what what every manager feels you, you want players new players in for pre-season so that they can familiarize themselves with the, the patterns of play and, and with Anana it's it's a crucial role uh, as far as defending is concerned as far as attacking is concerned we we all know from uh, from our five side appearances that you you know you build from the back if if a, if an attack breaks down you go back and you need to have someone dependable with a ball at their feet and Anana is going to be um, extremely vital to the way United play in the forthcoming season they've they're still a fair way from mastering the style that Ten Hag wants one of the reasons last season was because of the goalkeeper uh, we, we were discussing earlier that as damaging as the FA Cup final the Sevilla game and the West Ham defeat were for De Gea probably more damaging was his performance against Real Betis when United won 4-1 because he's kicking that night there's there's a video of it and it, it like I, I'm, I'm not wishing ill on him at all, but you you can't help but laugh at some of the kicks. It, it is it is pretty laughable to see his thought process when the ball is at his feet, and it's easy to laugh now because he's he's no longer at United. And we we said at the start of the week what a great goalkeeper he was for the club, and he absolutely was. But it, that he's kicking that night. I forgot just how abysmal it was and they won't get that with Anana they might get the odd mistake from Anana where he tries to play an audacious pass and he gets caught out but you've as, as Brendan Rodgers might might say trust the process there was that time in the um, rather amusing being Liverpool documentary when Martin Skirtle played a back pass that was intercepted and I think it was Aquero who equalised in one of it might have been Rogers' first game in charge at Anfield and he's in the dressing room afterwards saying you don't you don't blame this man you don't blame Martin Skirtle that's that's my Brendan Rogers impression anyway um, <laughs> and so th th there might be an element of that but it, coming back to your point I've, I've tried to give this a, a long answer rather than just uh, last one last in 30 seconds but 
I'd, I'd be surprised the way it's going if, if Anana is, is not playing for Man United next season. Samuel, I'm delighted with that answer. You got increasingly enthusiastic as it went on. <laughs> you started off, you know, you're like, I'm not having any of this. And then you, there's a smile on your face by the end. That's what it's all about. I've learned from the Rashford contract, the Rashford contract question, which we might end up uh, uh, addressing in, in the forthcoming weeks. Tyrone, look, he's, he, as Samuel said, Anana is a, a gifted ball-playing goalkeeper. I mean, you are... You were actually in Turkey, obviously, covering Manchester City in the Champions League final. And it was just a bit of a spectacle, wasn't it, really? It was a masterclass in passing. He just steps out into midfield. He looks so com- so comfortable. The press has come up to him. He just he just doesn't really flinch, does he? And some of the passes he was playing were quite audacious, actually. You think, how has he picked that one out? And he's kind of he's funneling the ball into midfield. The players are swiveling turning out and it really gives you breathing space in midfield and allows you to build up doesn't it so it's going to be a really exciting sign and he's only 27 years old so he's coming into his prime years now yeah he is um, you know he's prime years as a goalkeeper can you know 27 is certainly starting he's a spring checker isn't he yeah, I'd argue 39 is still prime years for, for goalkeepers as well um, wonder why that is yeah I think <laughs> yeah, you know he, he's clearly a much better fit for for United under Ten Hag than De Gea ever was, and you know Samuel's right. Samuel shared that video with me before. If De Gea's kicking against Betis, and it, you know it, it was remarkable, really. And the most, you know, I, I said something. The most eye-catching thing I thought was that you can see how much confidence he loses in his own his own kicking. There, occasionally the camera pans on him after a mistake, and he looks red-faced and almost embarrassed by it. And there's a few instances where there are very there's very easy short passes onto defenders and he just boots it long. It's like during that game, he just lost all confidence in, in, in his kicking and his ability to just pass it short. And at least one of those kicking errors should have cost United a goal. And, you know, it's why we talk about the FA Cup final. I think it, it is that Betis game, probably more than anything, that made Ten Hag think this is going to be an issue. And I think it was after that game that, that Ten Hag used the phrase, I cannot ignore it about, about De Gea's kicking. And, it was at the point he was still praising him and, and defending him and saying what a good all-round goalkeeper he was. But, you know, I think that was the night it was pretty clear there was a problem. And it was it was a pretty horrible night weather-wise, I think. But, you know, it can't really be an excuse when, <laughs> you know... It's the highest in... Well, he was the highest <laughs> okay. in goalkeeper in the world, Tyrone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't not turn yeah. up when it rains. <laughs> when I let one in through my legs against the US media team in New York next week, I might say, it's a pretty horrible, pretty horrible weather, yeah, lads. This, 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 is, this is why I'd pass it on to Ty. We've, we've got another media match, a short one next week, and, and he's, he's available for that one, and he'll be taking his gloves, but I, I don't think he can, even if he tried to be as bad with his feet as, as De Gea was that night, I don't think Ty could be. <laughs> it, it was pretty extraordinary. Watching no. it back. So when you pack in for your case, Tyrone, when you you're for the US tour, your wife's going to go. Don't forget the goal, goalkeeper gloves. Don't forget <laughs> the goalie gloves, mate. Take suitcase, everywhere just yeah. in case. You never know yeah. where the next contract's coming <laughs> from. Um, but no, I think you know it's it's pretty clear that it is going to be a major upgrade. But it's going to be, you know, I, I said previously, I think it's going to be a stylistic change as well, and one that's going to impact the centre backs. It's going to impact the midfield because it is going to change the way United play and it's going to have a knock-on effect. The defenders are going to get going to have to get used to Anana taking some almighty risks. And I think that's why getting him signed and, and getting him on tour and giving defenders a chance to to understand what he does with his feet and and where they need to be is is going to be beneficial. So if they can get it done early next week, then you know I think there's there's clear advantages to that. It'd be great to have a goalkeeper, obviously, for the start of the tour, Samuel, but I mean 
the, the elephant in the room. This team needs a goal scorer, doesn't it? We were seeing all that throughout last season. Um, really couldn't score. The, the attack just didn't really fire in a lot of games. And obviously in talks for Rasmus Holland at the moment. I guess if, if they brought him in, um, obviously with Mason Mount and Andrea Nana, that's not really enough, is it? It doesn't feel like enough. And how would you rate that? If that was to be their business this summer, what would you say about that? And where would you predict United would finish next season? Uh, well, I think they they will make the odd addition to the squad depending on outgoings. If if they they do get those three, well, they've they've obviously filled one position. They're going to get a keeper, and it looks like with an Arna, and and they absolutely need a striker. But watching the game in the week, I mean, Martinez is back. He he played one um, progressive pass. Mainu did. Mount did. You've got these gifted players from deep who can pick a pass. When they look up, they saw Jaden Sancho, and um, unfortunately for those for those who didn't watch it, they won't be surprised to know that or to be informed that Sancho was was Sancho. And okay, he's played out of position, but. Ten Hag can get a tune out of him in his best position last season, and there was one good turn, and that that one good turn would have probably been shotgunned over the internet by Sancho's acolytes, and you could be forgiven thinking, "Oh, he must have played really well because he did a nice turn in, in a two second clip." But he just looked forlorn, and and, and Mesbri actually fashioned a pretty decent chance for him when he won the ball. And he miscontrolled it. He fumbled his lines. And um, unfortunately, you can't count on Sancho either uh, as, as a winger, never mind as a striker. And even if Fancy Marshall was fit, if you, Mason Mount, Lissandra Martinez, Kobe Mainu, these players, Anana, they don't want to look up and see Marshall as the player to play the ball to. And that's the problem for United. They've, they've got... Th- there's a danger if they don't get that sorted, they could become a deluxe version of Van Gaal's team in that they're excellent at keeping the ball. They're, they actually play proactive passes. There's there's a bit more urgency about them, but they still struggle for goals because the way they played last season, goals were hard to come by, but they often found a way to get the win. That approach is unsustainable into a second season, especially when other teams are reinforcing and are likely not to have as, as poor seasons as they did last season. I, I, I main, I've maintained all along the difference between United having a, as, as good a season as last season or a better season or worse season, it will come down to having a dependable goal scorer. And that might not necessarily be Hoyland. And time will tell over the next what six or seven weeks. Thankfully, there, the transfer window closes in, in uh, I think it's seven weeks today, it might be. Uh, it's on a Friday. So that time will go very, very quickly. I think it was only six weeks ago that it was the FA Cup final. So that's how quickly that time can go. And there's a hell of a lot of business for United to do incomings and outgoings on, on uh, to, to get the squad into a, to a state where... Ten Hag will be happy with it and supporters will be happy with it. But already you just sense that this season coming up, ordinarily, if you finish third, you just think, well, challenge for the title next season. I do think that is too premature. Um, even if United do end the window with a, we're having a, a very good transfer window and they get a, a good striker in, uh, Anana, I think is a very progressive move. It's definitely an upgrade on, on De Gea as well. But this might have to be a season of consolidation where you you aim for a trophy. You always want to win a trophy, ideally a a, a more treasured trophy than, than the League Cup. But 
going for the title, it, it feels like they're still a way off that because although they might and they probably should for that Wolves game have an 11 that Ten Hag is completely content with, they might get, supporters might get a reality check when they look at the bench because there could still be a fair amount of deadwood uh, lingering. And if they're not on the bench, the deadwood might be lingering in, in the physio's room at Carrington. Tyrone, they need to shift that deadwood. I mean, we see that all the time, but it's quite important more than ever really this summer when, when you look at the budget they're working with between 100 and 120 million. Um, let's say obviously Mount was 55 and Nana was probably going to cost around the same, probably in excess of 40 uh, to 50 million. That's 100. Then if they're saying a striker, there's, there's not going to be much left in the transfer kit, is there? And you look at the players, the, the sellable assets that they've got, they've got Dean Henderson, He's probably the most sellable asset in that team. Let's say he goes Nottingham Forest. Uh, Fred as well. Interest from Saudi Arabia and maybe an Alex Tellers. But they really need to shift those players, don't they? Because it's going to be really important to offset um, any incomings. They do, yeah. But it's you know it's not easy. I think the key word there was they, they need to sell the Deadwood. But you know if you ever tried selling no Deadwood, it's, deadwood. Uh, it, it's not, there's not much of a market <laughs> yeah. for it, I don't think. Um, people prefer live wood. So, you know, it's... Um, it's it's not easy to do, and Eric Bailly and and Alex Telles haven't really got got many suitors. My attempts to drum up twenty million pounds for Alex Telles a couple of years ago have, have fallen by the wayside pretty pretty dramatically. Um, you know, you're right. There's there's not many sellable assets. Henderson and probably McTominay um, are the most obvious ones. I think both for both you're going to need replacements. I think um, you know you might be able to to make a, a small profit um, and maybe an FFP profit, but it's not going to be easy to do, so it is. It is difficult. They do need Saudi Arabia to come calling for Tellez and Baye and, and a few of these players, but you know they seem to be the one big six club at the moment that's somehow not attracting any Saudi interest in their um, in their their deadwood um, or even their good players. To be honest, because there's a lot of Saudi interest in pretty good players around. So yeah, they they could do with sales and they could do with selling players, but you know it's not easy to. I made the point the other day that. The, the only reason United would sell a player really is a if they were really pushing pushing to go and contract situations or they've not cut it at the club and the reality is for players like Van der Beek, Tellez, Bailly, um, even Maguire they've they've not cut it at the club so there's there's not going to be a huge market for players who, who have failed in their most recent employment um, yeah so it's not it's not easy but they certainly do need to improve that budget and I think it's been it's, I mean if they sold no one and had a budget of 100 and 120 million then it's clear they're not going to sign a striker because they're going to be pretty much done with the Nana amount so they've got to find a way to sell players and I think they will do as, as the window progresses but it does it does add to the pressures of, of the entire transfer window really If I remember correctly can we blame our former colleague Marcus Banks on that Alex Teller's deal didn't he write an opinion piece or really really early oh, doors yeah, and he did, yeah. after that the, the reports <laughs> in Portugal picked up and then all of a sudden Alex Teller's landed at Manchester Airport so uh, we'll, we'll blame Marcus Banks that one I think that, that's probably happened more often than than we think with with other clubs as well. I mean, the, the there was the infamous that uh, that that parody account. What was it? Eleven years ago, Duncan Jenkins and the very very oh, yeah. uh, was what was his name at um, Liverpool? The director of comms who lasted about five minutes. Jen Chang. Yes, yes, and um, he he wanted to meet with the guy behind the 
behind the, uh, the the Twitter account because he claimed that it was costing them more money for t- to sign Fabio Barini or something like that. Uh, pr- pretty like just just pretty weird and wacky, but these these things have have happened. Um, and yeah, with with Tellers, I mean. There were dark days if you were a Liverpool fan, but brilliant days as a United fan. Look, looking across and looking at that. Yes, team, yeah. This was this God, was, was... Tw- twenty twelve. Yeah, it was the start of the Brendan Rodgers era as well. Uh, another reference to Brendan Rodgers on this this podcast, but uh, <laughs> yeah, with T- Tellez is very much deemed. I mean, he can be sold without having to be replaced because United have got what four other left backs to choose from. Uh, by even though they look a little bit lighter at centre half with a couple of players being released there um again they they don't need a replacement for him he's he is scorched earth really i mean look i, I forgot how few games he played in that 2021 20, 22 season it was something like and he was actually fit for the majority of it as well which is um which which is unlike eric by but he, he hardly had a kick that season it was barely breaking double figures for appearances and it was earlier that year that he was given a new contract and this that that is one of the biggest issues United have with shifting players. They have given out stupidly long contracts to players who occasionally play pretty stupidly as well. That one was really, really baffling, to be fair. And the reason Samuel's uh, discussing Brendan Rodgers so much is he's actually a massive, massive Celtic fan. He's got a Celtic shirt hanging up behind him, uh, if you're not watching on YouTube. It's, it's highly untrue, obviously. A retro film poster. I did have a Celtic shirt once when I was a kid. I'll um, I'll admit to that, yeah. Well, I've got I've got Scottish family in there. They're actually split between Celtic and Rangers, so it's an interesting dynamic, as you can imagine. Montagues and Capulets there, North then. The border. It certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, we'll leave that there for part two. We back in a moment for part three. Uh, we'll just wrap this this podcast up, then, gents. Um, the producer. A great producer, Seb, suggested it might be a good idea to discuss Samuel's player insight piece. Where Samuel, you walked through your experiences with players over the years, and particularly your experiences with Phil Jones and Tyrone. I'll also ask about your experiences because you, I think the pack had a, a nice conversation with the here last summer, didn't they, in pre-season, which was quite interesting. But Samuel, to begin with, you just want to talk through that piece, really, because I will say it's an interesting piece, but I will admit I only skimmed through it before when on the podcast because I have been off. Is that offensive? My 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 silence speaks volumes there, Stephen. Well, you know, if, if, if you want to learn anything in this industry, you know, you've, 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 you've got to you've got to put the mileage. In. <laughs> Even on holiday, on the pool. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. In in fairness to you, I I definitely also try to zone out when I'm uh, when I'm off on holiday and, and not working. Um, I, the, the thing with with Phil Jones that these these two issues with him were not. They weren't conducted by him in person, which was probably also telling. Um, I, I spoke to him in a mix zone once when he was he was playing really well for United. It was the start of it was uh, midway through Mourinho's first season. It was West Brom away. They just won two 0 He'd played well when he was having a very good. Um, he was involved in a very good partnership briefly with Marcus Rojo. I mean, it's strange, but it was true. Those two were looking like pretty good United centre-backs for a while. And um, I think I said to him in the mix zone, it's like, oh, it looks like you're one of Mourinho's leaders out there. And 
the, the reply was so monosyllabic. I didn't even I didn't even transcribe it. It certainly didn't make its way into copy for the uh for the for the monday paper ibrahimovic stops in the mix zone as well and it was all on on ibrahimovic because he'd scored a couple of goals and then um so i thought well that was that was strange but i didn't think anything of it at the time but then five or six months later i thought oh well that's clearly why he gave me short shrift because i'd done um i went to attend united away at arsenal towards the end of the season united were going for the europa league so it was one of those games where Mourinho just tossed it off because that the Premier League, he knew they weren't going to get into top four. They had an injury crisis. I think they had like Dimitri Mitchell, Matthew Wallace Sunday in the squad that day. It was Scott McTominay's debut. Axel Tunzibi made his full debut as well. So as as Arsenal, as far as Arsenal United goes, games go, this this was not one to remember. And Jones did not play well. And there'd been a um, an incident in the week where uh, this this is one for UK polit- polit- uh, politics enthusiasts but Diane Abbott the Labour MP gave this interview on radio where she got her calculations spectacularly wrong I'm dreadful at maths but even I thought it was bad and it became this you know it it cut through as they say in, in politics it was something that was talked about a lot and I said unfortunately Miss Abbott was uh, she was she was filmed during this interview as well. Or the sorry, the interview was filmed, but you couldn't see her, and it probably made it worse. And even though I couldn't see her, you you sensed what she looked like. And I wrote that Jones uh, looked as startled as Diane Abbott. It's it's probably not a line I'd write now for a, a myriad of reasons. Um, least of all her her letter to the um, the Observer uh, early this year, and the fact that she's been suspended by the Labour Party. But I think it was the day after or two days after um, my editor got a call from the United Press officer complaining about this and saying that I wouldn't get any access on the pre-season tour. Um, Once the United Director of Comms got wind of this, he he nipped that in the bud. So that was my first uh, issue with Phil Jones. And all I could think was that he, he probably, from that mix zone where he gave me short shrift, I... I covered his comeback, the under-21s, the previous season towards the end of Van Gaal's reign. And they were games at Old Trafford, so the exposure was pretty decent. And, I mean, it's still the case now. The Evening News covers those games um, in greater depth than than anyone, including the the actual United, United website. And, of course, you have to do talking points or you do something that's opinionated because that's what... what football journalism is about um, by and large or certainly a a big big section of it is and Jones was poor in those games and at the time Tunzibi and Rashawn Williams were playing them they were playing well and Jones just did not look like a a senior professional and there was a game against Chelsea where he got nutmegged by a, a kid called Casey Palmer and the kid actually even uploaded it onto his Instagram, the the, the video of it. So, you know, the, the exposure was decent enough. And then you've got some Chelsea Academy player essentially ridiculing Phil Jones on Instagram. But I didn't really, I wasn't referring to that in my piece, but I was just saying how poor he was. And he didn't actually play again that season for the first team after January the 2nd, I think it might have been. And I suspect because... I was giving prominence to his dreadfulness in the under-21s that he had to be in his bonnet over that. So that was that. I'll try and be a bit more succinct with the other issue, which was when Varane signed. Varane asked for the number four. Um, that was the number he wanted. Jones said no. I reported it. 
on the evening that United had just thrashed Leeds 5-1, I had a press officer on at me saying, feels unhappy about this, he denies it. I said, well, I stand by the story. I even checked again, checked in again with the contact about it. And he, he said, yeah, that was absolutely the case. So there's a back and forth, back and forth. Then the main press officer got involved and just said what I'd already been told by the other press officer. I said what I had already said. And she said, that's fine. Just letting you know he's not happy with it. Even she couldn't be bothered to get involved with it because it was a Saturday night. You, you know, you want to unwind. United have just won 5-1 as well. You've got a day off the next day. Enjoy yourself. So then come the Zoom call the next week against uh, for the pre-match Southampton, I'm waiting. Uh, I've got my hand raised on the Zoom function. Everyone's on mute. You're unmuted when it's your turn to ask a question. And I was deliberately ignored by the press officer who had his finger on the button because I'd upset Phil Jones, uh, effectively. So that just gives you an idea of how how thin-skinned footballers can be. Now, Jones gave a very... um, yeah, really interesting interview to Jonathan Northcroft a couple of years ago where he talked about some low life abusing him while he was walking his two little girls in the park and that that's absolutely deplorable. I'd never condone that and I don't think I should have to say it, but I've never abused a footballer in person or via a keyboard. It's unfortunately it's it's fans, it's internet fans that that um, you know, stoop to that low, and occasionally it's the odd um, passerby in the street who will stoop to an even lower low. So I get that Phil Jones has had a lot of grief as as a footballer, and he's had a lot of stick as well. But also, he was far too thin skinned to ever be a success at Man United, um, and also, unfortunately, he had injury issues which which compromised him as well. But he wouldn't have lasted in in Ferguson's days um, if he was pouring through what everyone was writing about him and what I wrote about him compared to what other people wrote about him was was probably quite tame. I mean, as I told another United player last season during a, a pretty uh, frank exchange with him, I've, I've praised and criticised literally every player in the squad. Um, I think if you've done that, then and, and people are saying, oh, you've always got it in for him. No, he's always got it in for him. And if the lines are that blurred with some of these these online fans, then you're probably doing the right thing um, if, if you're getting it from both sides. So, uh, yeah, that was... I I, I deliberately waited uh, for Phil Jones uh, to no longer be a Man United player to, to write that piece because at that point he couldn't even actually complain to anyone about it. It's great insight though and obviously for fans that maybe don't know what goes on behind the scenes as journalists or aspects of the job uh, it's, it's really valuable I mean if you go across I've just found the piece there gagged on Zoom and late night emails dealing with Manchester United players that's the headline on the MEN site if you want to go read it in written form and Samuel I might actually go read it after what do you think of that? <laughs> I might leave you a comment an abusive comment actually depends on the depends it could on be feel. bedtime reading could help you get off to sleep if it's uh, if it's that long uh, I think I think I think Samuel's uh, sorry I think Tyrone's De Gea story is going to be more bedtime reading because that's a bit more topical Tyrone obviously last summer you guys the pack were out in Australia and Thailand on pre-season tour and you had the opportunity to sit down with the hair, didn't you? I think it was in a hotel, uh, hotel room. And um, a few weeks later, was it was at Brentford, if my memory serves correct, that he made that mistake and he requested to talk to uh, 
to local media. So Tyrone just, Marshall. He wanted to talk to Tyrone Marshall. Was it, was it, sorry, yeah. was it just Tyrone Marshall? There you go. He so wanted to, he wanted to speak to the, um, the, the Manchester reporters, which only happened to me, but I think he was relieved to see a fellow goalkeeper there who would understand. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think he'd been watching from the stands in the media game? Yeah. <laughs> I think when he saw it was me, he thought, he's, he's going to get it. And then I said, no, David, I've never made a mistake like that in all my, all my career. Um, no, the, the, the one in Perth was, um, it was very, very humorous to be fair. Looking back, um, Sammy was there as well. And, and we were doing a sit down with De Gea. There was a eight or 10 of us in the room and walked into, to basically a hotel, just someone's hotel bedroom, um, where United was staying. There was, um, it's one of these, obviously it was a five star hotel and it had this, um, electronic like TV sign and it didn't actually have the name of the person's room didn't it well I can't remember who it Mr. was Mr Coombs now, I think it was Mr Coombs wasn't Mr. it Mr Coombs maybe could have been something like that your memory's phenomenal for this sort of stuff so I thought I, def- might... I definitely wrote it down borderline yeah, without his memory yeah. you, can, oh, you can just pull that out yeah no I, I don't remember I, I, honestly, I had to go into into our system and see what was the because I was pretty sure I'd written the name of the uh, of the name in the in the feature yeah, on it and it, it, I, I did yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, why I, I went back to yeah but I think I think it was Coombs. Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah, and we were all basically just draped across. I mean, there wasn't enough room in the hotel room for us anyway. So yeah, several of us were, were me and a couple of others at least were lay on this bed while we interviewed um, David De Gea. Someone actually took a photo which Samuel shared with the group the other day and said it was De Gea's last last big interaction basically with the uh, the people that cover United on a daily basis and uh, a memorable one. It'd be fair to say. Um, he also said in that interview to. Um, Samuel's question, I think, that he did want to spend the rest of his career at United, but that um, that obviously ended ended very badly for him. Um, he said, "If they let me, as well, didn't they? If they let me, yeah, and they have not let." Was him. he in, was he in good form then, Ty? What was he like to actually deal with there? Because he's, he's, he was he good, good actually. Quite I, well, he, yeah, he got a lot better. Obviously, he, he you know he was well before my time, but from what people say, he was a very reluctant talker in the early days. But I think the last two years, at least, he's he's got a lot better. He was a much more visible presence, certainly on TV interviews last season um, and, and in the COVID season. Last year, he did a lot of, um, you know, a lot, a lot of interviews when United had played poorly, which they did most weeks last season. And it, it did feel like he'd kind of stepped up into that role of talking a lot more. I think there was a time when he, he never stopped in the mix zone. And although last year it was mostly TV TV stuff, this year he was... You know he was better as well, and and I you know, I did him at Brentford. Um, I think he stopped at an Old Trafford game once, and then did him for the Sunday papers at Crystal Palace when they actually just conceded in the ninetieth minute, and and still brought him to us. And you know he was he was really good that night. So yeah, I I, I thought he got better as a talker and, and being more open and kind of embracing that status as one of the elder statesmen in the squad as as he went on, and he was um you know he was a a reasonably good talker and I think he was in pretty good form back in um, back in that hotel room yeah I think there was some decent some decent stuff from that so what needs to happen now is obviously he's left the club the pack need to organise getting that photo blown up framed and sent to him and saying bon voyage David thanks Thanks for for the memories thanks for the memories exactly thanks for the memories Uh, we'll leave it there then gents Um, thank you very much thank you Stephen and thank you Tyrone thank you very much And thanks to all the listeners as usual. Have a fantastic weekend and we'll be back on Monday afternoon. Take care.